some things you have this morning inside of your bulletin. You have a note sheet. And if you've missed anything we've been looking at before, or just want a little refresher to get caught up, we've got brief notes, but please take them. It'd be good. By the way, everybody has a pen, yes? Love it. It's good. You're going to be doing a lot of writing today, okay? That's good. We're in the midst of our sermon series on the gift and the body. The gifts and the body. And what we're going to look at today is the fact that every believer has a spiritual gift. Today, you're going to help better identify what your spiritual gift is. You won't have the results till you get home, okay? That's just how it goes. It's okay. Unless you want to do all that figuring up at the end of my sermon, okay? But then God's watching. So, um, but being able to go through all of this and, and hopefully from what we've looked at, we've actually spent 11 different Sundays dissecting each one of the spiritual gifts for the church, those of a speaking nature, those of a serving nature. And my hope is that everybody that is part of Grace Bible Church will be convinced from the scriptures of how vital exercising spiritual gifts are to the health and the body of our church as we seek to build one another up and to live a glorious existence as a community that will preach to everyone we come in contact with. So understand that this is kind of a heavy moment, at least for me. Um, when I first came here, and I was trying to do some praying and, and thinking through what needed to happen, um, I, I noticed that things were a little bit different about spiritual gifts, and, and, and maybe it wasn't something that everybody had had an opportunity to participate in. And I think the scriptural evidence is overwhelming. The believers in Christ have spiritual gifts, and we need to be operating according to those spiritual gifts, and that those spiritual gifts are the places where we're going to flourish the best within the body of Christ. So let's start, number one, by giving a definition of what a spiritual gift is, just so that we have this down. It's the idea of, we get the word charisma from it, Okay. And it's the idea, uh, number one, charis is a word for grace. It would probably be better understood as these are grace gifts. Not, not so much spiritual gifts, that's how they've been translated in English. But they're actually grace gifts. They're undeserved blessings from God that he has bestowed upon us so that we could be maximally effective for him in the church age. It is a supernatural endowment graciously bestowed on believers in Christ for the sole purpose of building up one another. The reason why God has given you and I either a gift, or maybe some of us have multiple gifts, depending on our capacity of what we can. God knows that. God designed it. The Holy Spirit prescribes those to us. But in doing that, it's always for the sake of one another. It's always for the sake that everyone around you would be built up better, would be moving closer to the Lord, uh, would be becoming more knowledgeable of all that we have in Jesus Christ because of what you have and what you are to be exercising. So it's very, very important that we're able to pinpoint and say, this is what my gift is, 
and then find an outlet within the body of Christ to be able to use it. Now, here's what's amazing about this. If everybody has a gift, that means that everybody matters to God. There are no second-class Christians. There are no, you know, God doesn't have stepchildren, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't have like the, 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 far, the far reaching out, well, you're, you're at an arm's length, but right here, I'll hold you to my side kind of thing. That's not how he plays that. His grace is distributed equally across the board, but differing in the matter of the relation to pers- the person. Now, here's why this is important. Because it shows that he takes a value in who you are and desires to work with you and leading you in the great possible life that you could have. If, the, if, if our destination is the idea that I want to have joy, I want to be happy in life, I guarantee you this, you can crack and blow your mind away with the world all that you want to. But what you find is when you're walking in obedience with the Lord and you're actually living out how he has specially tailored you to exercise a particular gift amongst the body, heads will roll. Minds will be blown. Hearts will be lifted up. And most importantly, the Lord's glorified. That's what it all really boils down to. So a supernatural endowment graciously bestowed, undeserved, but bestowed on believers in Christ. If you're not a believer right now, you don't have a spiritual gift. Unbeliever, don't you want a spiritual gift? Come to faith in Christ. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life forever, and so much more added on top of it, right? But it says here, for the sole purpose of building up one another. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter 4. This is the first place that we started with this. 1 Peter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. Work down to 11. 7 through 9 gives us a lot of attitude and perspective surrounding the idea of spiritual gift, but then the charge is given. If you've got the gift, use it. Make the most of it. Employ it all that you can. Wear it out. Because that's what it's there for. Starting in verse 7, notice this. The end of all things is near. How long ago was this written? We always do that, don't we? We see things about the end in Scripture, and we're like, wait a second, this is an ancient book. What in the world? Probably around 2,000 years ago, this was written. And Peter is anticipating the end. It's on its way. Is he wrong? No. In fact, what we find out is, is since the first coming of Jesus Christ, that kicked off the understanding of the end was near. We became in the end times when Jesus first came on earth. You can see Hebrews 1 in order to justify that claim. The end is near. With the end in mind is where he wants to put us. Therefore, be of sound judgment. In other words, think clearly. If you ever want an amazing study, go through the New Testament and pay very close attention to how God deals with the mind. The mind is the battlefield, okay? It's not out here on the street. It's not even on social media. The battlefield is right here. And it's never a power struggle, it's always a truth struggle, okay? Be clear thinking, it says here, and sober. Everybody see that spirit's in italics? Here's something I do. I just circle it and put a little bitty slash through it so I can still read it, but understand, that's not there. He's saying be sober, is what he's saying. Not sober in spirit, not have a sober spirit. The idea is be with it. Be clear thinking and be with it. Why? For the purpose of prayer. Anybody have difficulty praying? Think about this. Are we clear thinking? Are we sober in our minds? 
If we're not, it ends up hindering our prayers. He says here, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Because supernatural love is the way you deal with all the crackpots that you go to church with. That's how you do it. So I'm supposed to, we're supposed to love one another? Yeah. And immediately some of us go, start surveying the room. Man, that's a lot of love. It's got to be supernatural if it's going to get everybody right. Sometimes people aren't lovable. Sometimes I'm not lovable. Ask Marsha and Emily. Don't be a fool. <laughs> Good grief. They know week in and week out. They're like, yes, my prayer life has increased greatly. Sometimes it's like that because we all have these little things that we have to deal with. Supernatural love covers a multitude of all those sins and it makes it able for us to love. Above all, love needs to be moving this because the end is near. Verse nine, be hospitable to one another without complaint. We love the first part. We hate the last part, right? Yeah, caring for other people, but I don't get to gripe about it. No, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. And here's the thing. If it's supernaturally done, there's no room for complaint to be there. And then with all of this prescription that he's given in light of the end is near. He moves into this in verse 10. Watch what he says. As each one has received a gift, take special out. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, category number one, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. In other words, the one with the speaking gift is to be operating in such a way as if God himself were speaking, which tells you a lot about people with the speaking gift need to have the same source material. And it's got to be the word of God, okay? Notice the next one here. Whoever serves, category number two, is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. It is always from a platform of full acceptance in Christ. There's nothing to be earned. And always unto his glory being manifested out of it. Now, why do I make a big deal about that? Because there are some people in the church who still serve God so he will like them. That's odd. That's a strange parent-child relationship. Maybe you grew up in something like that, that it was only by your performance that your parent would accept you and love you and say anything commendable about you at that point. You have jaded children if that's the case. That's what you end up with. What God does is he comes in and says, everything that is necessary to destroy the friction and barrier between us, I will obliterate in the cross. And then I'm going to raise my son so that when you walk in your life, you can walk in his life and he will live through you. And everything is done because you've been accepted based on his work. You don't need God's acceptance. You're already accepted. You don't need God's love. You already have his love fully. You don't need to be justified. You're already declared righteous totally. So it's not earning anything. It's simply living out of the thankfulness for what we already have. Serve with the strength that God provides. 
What does that strength come from? It's just truth. It all comes with the mind and choosing whether or not we're going to believe the truth or believe lies. It says here, serving with the strength which God supplies. Here's the reason. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, the pinnacle of our participation in body life by exercising either our speaking or serving gifts with one another should culminate in nothing else but God getting glory. Building one another up, yes, that happens. But building one another up into what end? It's never a situation where, well, I can't wait till such and such exercises their gifts so I can get something out of it. It's not that. I don't think my pack's on. It's not. Boom. There we go. It's never waiting on somebody else to exercise their gift to say, gimme, 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 gimme. That loses the whole heart of the matter. You get by giving out. That's how it happens. By by knowing my gift and exercising my gift, you will get. And by you exercising your gift, I will get. Now, do I want? Yes. Do you want? Yes. But it's on a spiritual level, not a flesh level. I don't have some insane itch that you need to scratch. Right? That's a weird, yeah, just, yeah, erase that. We're on a 40-minute delay. Beep. What happened, right? But for real, you get it. It's never about gain and gain and gain for gain's sake because the one with the most toys and dies wins kind of thing. It's not that. It's the idea of a reciprocation of blessing happening. And when people are building one another up, you can't help for the glory of God to be the fruit that comes out of that. It just happens. Now, I'm convinced without a shadow of a doubt that what we're getting ready to do is a complete paradigm shift throughout the entire body of Grace Bible Church. We've been talking about it long enough, drilling it down, trying to give you every facet and detail back and forth. We've kept it online so that we could go back through it and take a look at it. We've got more that we're going to look at. We're moving forward. But today is an awesome day where we can actually sit down with this booklet and we can examine these statements and answer them truthfully. Let's take these booklets and open them. We're not going to read all of this going on. This is for you to do. But it's been put together for your benefit. But I do want to ask if you would please turn to page 6. And you'll see it'll say the spiritual gifts at the top. And it has to do with the speaking gifts. Now you're going to need your answer sheet here and your ink pen here in a minute. It's okay. You can read through the details of what these are later that we've gone over Sunday after Sunday. You can read through that later. But one thing I want to see as we go through each one of these gifts quickly are the pros and cons so you know exactly who you're dealing with in this room, okay? Number one was speaking gifts. The person who has the speaking gift of preaching or prophecy. The pro is is that they're seeking to consistently give guidance from the Word of God that calls for response and action, and usually it's a dynamic gift. That's why I'm so loud all the time, okay? That's why I walk around and that kind of weird stuff that might make you uncomfortable. It's more of a dynamic gift. It's more of a showy thing. The con is, is that I do not play well with those who have differences in both primary and secondary issues of doctrine. You say, well, isn't that a fault for my gifting? No, it's not. You know, 
It's just not. I know that makes me narrow-minded and kind of a jerk and all that kind of stuff. Cool. I'm not willing to compromise on things like the rapture. I'm not going to sit here and believe that the church is going to Christianize the world and we're all just going to become better and better and better until all of our government politicians get saved. And next thing you know, the world's so good, Jesus can't help but to come back. I'm not going to ascribe to that junk. I'm definitely not going to look at our world and say the kingdom's here now. I'm not going to do that. And I don't understand all that. And I'll look at people who believe that and be like, come on, dude, what? Okay, that's just me. Moving on. Exhortation. This is the idea of building somebody up, encouraging someone. What's the pro? They always bring a positive and uplifting message to every situation. You're the Barnabas. But what's the con? Some encouragement methods can stray from the word and can run the route of self-esteem and appeals to one's pride. If we're building up the flesh, we're just trying to remold the clay of a dead man. That makes no sense whatsoever. Instead, the person with exhortation needs to be championing everything that God can do and who we are in Christ. It always boils back to that basic point. The gift of teaching. The pro is is that they give detailed instructions, aiding the saints in handling God's word with precision. Looks to connect the specifics of the Bible with the whole of the Bible. They're not just a tree person, they're a forest person. And they want to go through both of them. And they want to show you how the big picture works through all of that stuff. What is the con? They scrutinize the ministries and teachings within the local church with little regard to personalities or feelings and may not be applying what they teach. In other words, if somebody's teaching something that is wrong in the church, the person with the gift of teaching will go to that person and say, the word of God does not say that. We need to have that conversation. And that might hurt a little bit, hopefully not too much. Hopefully we haven't been oversensitized by our culture and our world. But sometimes that'll hurt a little bit. We got to come back here and humble ourselves and get with the word of God. Hopefully the person exercising the gift of teaching would do that as well. Let's turn over. The word of wisdom. What is the pro? Well, they're insightful. Life lessons from God's word that will resonate practically. If you're a Warren Wiersbe fan, he has this gift of wisdom. He's able to take scripture and bring some of the most incredible applications out of it. You just say, wow, that's just so amazing how he's been able to fill that out. If you, if you know Gene Getz, Gene Getz has a real good, what is that called, Vern? The Life Application Bible? So it's called the Life Application Bible that he's put together. It's excellent Bible. Man, he's got so much, just a, a wealth of resources in there. He has that gift. What's the con? The application receives more attention than the details of Scripture. Sometimes we're so concerned at getting to how can I apply it, We didn't pause and go a little bit slower in asking the question, what does it really say? So sometimes that could be the con. How about the word of knowledge? Well, the pro for that is, knows the material inside and out. This is the Mortimer Schnurd of the church, okay? Knows the material inside and out, meticulous in approach, has a thought-out, educated answer from the word of God. What are the cons? Well, heavy on the details lacks an application they're not really concerned about applying the word they want you to get the information in your mind they can be stuffy and also they can teach over one's head like yeah man i just sit here for 45 minutes my mind was blown what did he say i don't have a clue that's sometimes what happens there you need those people in fact you need the knowledge people and the wisdom people to hang out together and maybe take turns you get 30 minutes and i'll get 30 minutes and we'll we'll see how that goes serving gifts The gift of faith. The pro with this gift is, is that they stretch the church in all the right places so that God can work the impossible. There are some people who look at a daunting situation and they just automatically say, there's no way. 
The person with faith comes up, and you go, oh, here they come again, right? Here they come. And they say, we can do it. God said so. Don't you know? Don't you understand who he is? Don't lose sight. Don't lose faith. What's the matter? Is God not big enough to do this? And you're like, yeah, what was I thinking? I'm such a slouch, you know, kind of thing, okay? But notice, the con is, can make many uncomfortable with their vision of what God is doing or can do. We end up having an emotional response to those things. How about giving? The pro is supplying above and beyond to make ministries happen. They're the people who give money. That's what they do. They just do it because that's how God gifted them and blessed them to do so. Maybe they don't have a lot of money, but they still have the gift of giving. Guess what? They still have the gift of giving. It's never about amount. It's about quality and obedience. That's what it comes down to. What's the con? Once known, they can become the target of every need. Once you find out who the givers are, you want to prey on them like a hawk. Well, don't you understand that we need this for this ministry? We're just totally out of toilet paper for this. Can't do that. Okay? That's why people who give stay anonymous. Mercy, the gift of mercy. The pro is willing to go where others will not. Meeting felt needs on the deepest level. How many of the apostles jumped up and said, that guy's got leprosy. Let me go shake his hand. Anybody? The apostles didn't, and guess what? Most of us wouldn't either. There are some of you who would say, I don't care what they have, they need love. That's the person with the gift of mercy. If, they're, if they've got a few moments left right now, guess what? I'm going to be right next to their side. Loving them, talking to them, coaching them through, reading to them, whatever I have to do to supply for them, that's the gift of mercy. Not caring about the obstacle in the way, looking beyond it so you can minister to the need. What's the con? Often stretched thin. Wanting to be all things to all people at all times. Sometimes the people with the gift of mercy have a hard time saying no to certain situations and they can easily run themselves over and have to take a lot of time out. The gift of helps. The pro is can lead the church in humility, selfless service, and excellence for God's glory. They're setting the stage for what it is to do the menial task. What is the con? Can be treated like a doormat by other believers and are often overlooked people. That's the con. Turn over. Leading or administration. What is the pro? Organizes and mobilizes those who would normally sit still and champions a cause well. What is the con? Can be overbearing or bossy and looks for everyone to be on board. In fact, they can't understand why, if this is such a good direction to go, why you're not there. That's the gift of, that's the gift of leading your administration. Discerning of spirits. What is the pro? Warns the church of dangerous doctrines, false hopes, and divisive people. What is the con? Well, their exposure of one's teachings and motives can be taken personally, causing strife. They would work really well with the people who have the gift of teaching because they're taking the Word of God, they're examining the situation that's in front of them, and they're showing you where all of the dissonance is and how it's got to be resolved, how they've got to get the friction out of this. Pretty concise, right? These are the 11, the 11 gifts of the church. Now understand this. This test is not foolproof. Okay, it's not. There are mistakes here. You might actually come out with something, but when you get involved in a ministry and begin serving, the Lord will definitely show you for sure what your gift is. This is a way to get you started and help you to realize, you know what? God has got something for me. Absolutely. 
He does. Turn over with me to page 14. Notice at the top, there's a value system. The value system is zero to where this is never true of you. Number three is it's almost always going on. Now, here's what you don't do, and you'll remember me saying this to you before. Do not write down the super Christian that you always wish to be. Okay? That's not what we're asking for. Well, I'd like to be more merciful. No. If you're not a merciful person, just be honest. I'm not merciful. Well, doesn't that make me a sinner? No, it doesn't. What makes you a sinner is not being honest about who you are on this. Okay? And there's okay to say, you know what? I just don't have a need to help people that are in need. It's just not me. Great. There are people here that are that. Not everybody has to be that. The only person who had all the spiritual gifts is Jesus. That's the only person. You're not him. Don't try to be him. It's okay. You be you as God through the Holy Spirit gifted you. And write this down honestly. So, zero, this never happens. Number one, rarely does it happen. Number two, well, sometimes it might. Number three, yes, that's me kind of idea. Let's just real quick take the first one slowly. Here we go. Number one, I speak up for Christian principles even when what I say is not possible. Is that you? When you hear about things that would come against the Bible, are you pretty tight-lipped? Staying quiet? You know what? Every once in a while I might say something. Are you the person who's you're running over people to say stuff? Are you telling other Christians to sit down so you can talk? If that's the case, you're a number three. You might even want to throw a four up there. I don't know. It's not even on the chart, but you might want to do that, okay? Is that you? Simply write down. No, no, never. Maybe rarely, sometimes, or number three, almost always. Number two, and here's the thing, real quick. Don't think too long about these. If you think too long about them, you will reason yourself into the Christian that you're not, okay? The question is, what is the gut reaction? Yeah, that's me. Oh, no, I don't even like that statement. Cool, mark it. Here we go, number two. I enjoy encouraging and giving counsel to those who are discouraged. Is that you? Number three, I have an ability to study a passage of Scripture thoroughly and effectively share its truth with others. Is that you? Everybody's got a pen. Number four, I often have insights offering practical solutions to difficult problems. Number five, I enjoy studying difficult questions about God's Word and tend to find answers more easily and more quickly than others. Number six, I am confident of achieving great things for the glory of God. Number seven, I enjoy giving money to those in serious financial need. Number eight, I enjoy comforting people in hospitals, prisons, or nursing homes. Number nine, I enjoy working behind the scenes without public recognition. Number ten, people seem to look to me for leadership in a group where none exists. Number eleven, people often say I have good spiritual judgment. Number 12, I feel a need to speak God's messages from the Bible to help people know what God expects of them. 
Number 13, after I talk one-on-one with people, they often are spurred to take positive action. Number 14, when a question arises from a difficult Bible passage, I am motivated to research the answer. Number 15, when they don't know what to do, people often ask my advice. Mark it quickly. Number 16, gathering information from multiple sources to find answers or information is one of my abilities. Number 17, I often step out and start successful projects other people won't attempt. Number 18, I joyfully give money to the church well above my tithe. Number 19, I feel compassion for hurting and lonely people and like to spend time with them to to encourage. Number 20, I would like to assist my pastor and other church leaders so they will have more time to accomplish their essential ministries. Everybody write a six on that. Number 21, I can easily delegate significant responsibilities to other people. Number 22, I am a good judge of character and can discern spiritual falsehood. Turn it over. Number 23, it is comfortable for me to apply biblical principles to present-day situations. Number 24, I feel a need to challenge others to better themselves in their spiritual growth without condemning them. Number 25, others listen to and appreciate my teaching of Scripture. Number 26, the Lord enables me to make appropriate application of biblical truth to practical solutions. Number 27, I can independently recognize difficult biblical truths and principles. Number 28, I trust God's faithfulness even when everything looks bad. Number 29, I wouldn't mind lowering my standard of living in order to be able to give more to the church or to others in need. Number 30, I want to do whatever I can for the needy people around me, even if I have to give up something. Number 31, I enjoy relieving others of routine tasks so that they can get special projects done. Number 32, I'm able to organize people, ideas, and projects to reach a specific goal. Number 33, I'm able to distinguish between right and wrong in complex spiritual matters that other people can't seem to figure out. Number 34, I speak clearly and am able to organize and present biblical truth so that others understand what I have to say. Number 35, people tell me things they won't tell anyone else because they find it easy to talk to me. Number 36, my thinking is organized and my approach systematic when presenting Bible lessons to a group. Number 37, I'm able to interpret and apply scripture with keen insight. Number 38, I will stick with the study once begun in order to develop a more complete picture. Number 39, I often exercise my faith through prayer, and the Lord answers my prayers in exciting ways. 
Number 40, when I give money to someone, I don't expect anything in return and often give anonymously. Number 41, when I hear of people without jobs who can't pay their bills, I do what I can to help them. Number 42, I enjoy helping others get their work done. Number 43, I can work under pressure with discipline to accomplish established goals and objectives. Number 44, people come to me for help in distinguishing between spiritual truth and error. Turn over to page 18. You're almost done. Persevere to the end, right? 45, I find the fundamental truths of Scripture to be worth repeating over and over. Number 46, I will stay with people and encourage them to finish a task once they have started it. Number 47, I can explain the teaching of the Bible clearly and concisely. Number 48, I can put ideas into words easily and can analyze and explain situations well. Number 49, I have understood issues or problems in the church and seen answers when others didn't. Number 50, I am willing to take on difficult assignments with the determination to meet obstacles head on. 51, I desire to share my personal financial resources with others and to assist them in worthy endeavors. 52, I will lay aside my own personal desires in order to help others. 53, in difficult situations, I'm able to get to the heart of the problem and take steps to resolve it. 54, I can see the big picture of a project and am able to coordinate others who only see various parts. 55, I am able to pinpoint the sources of difficulty when evaluating a situation. 56, I challenge people to set high standards of biblical conduct for their daily activities. 57, I have deep concern for the spiritual welfare of Christians who are in a crisis. Number 58, I have shared biblical truth with others in a way that they have found it meaningful and helpful. Number 59, while discussing a problem, I can share in such a way that clarifies what is needed to resolve it. Number 60, I study the Bible systematically, trying to see how one part relates to another. 61, I confidently expect God to respond to situations committed to Him in prayer. 62, sharing of my financial resources for Christian ministry is one of the greatest joys of my Christian walk. 63, people tend to call on me when help is needed for someone in distress. 64, I openly share my material possessions with others when they are in need. Sixty-five, I enjoy working out the necessary details in order to organize people and resources for a more effective ministry. Sixty-six, I seem to know when a situation is not right. 
67, I declare to proclaim, or sorry, I desire to proclaim the truth of God's word with authority and with conviction. Back page. 68, I enjoy sharing God's promises from Scripture as a means of encouragement. 69, I enjoy communicating biblical truth to others and then seeing growth in their knowledge of the Christian faith. Number 70, I apply spiritual truth effectively in my own life. Number 71, I study matters thoroughly so as to locate information others often overlook. Number 72, I've had great dreams and aspirations which have turned into reality despite the unlikeliness of accomplishing them. 73, I feel confident when I give sacrificially that the Lord will provide for my needs. Number 74, I receive great satisfaction and pleasure in prepping meals or in helping those less fortunate. 75, I enjoy short-term tasks rather than long-term projects. 76, people often respect my opinion and follow my direction. 77, when counseling a person, I can identify a problem correctly. Now, close them, put them down. Don't mess with them. Because you're going to take this home, and you're going to go through every number, whatever you had on there, going to fill it in, going down, 1 through 11, next one, 12 through 22, and it will figure up on the edge there. You will have that all lined out. All the blanks have been filled in for you of what we previously had and redone. Put your name at the top, and here's one thing that I'm going to ask. By no means is anyone mandated or under compulsion to do so. But one of the great things that will help us in moving forward is if you would be willing to share your results with us. We could easily run your answer sheet through a copy machine just so that we would have a copy on hand. Again, if it's something personal to you and you don't want to share it, that's fine. Uh, But what we're trying to do is get the entire church body operating according to their spiritual gifts. Now let me give you an example of how this happened. When I first got here, Connie said, we don't really have a women's ministry. I want to do a women's ministry. We need need to be doing a women's ministry. I said, stop. Before you do anything, do it different. And she said, what do you mean? I said, why don't you take this little spiritual gifts test I've got here, find out what your spiritual gifts are, and then try to locate some ladies to help you. Don't just do it one person. Anybody one person team? How's that go? Nobody in here is a jack of all trades, not one person. And so what Connie did was she took the test, she identified some things that would be considered her spiritual gift, and then she tried to identify some ladies to put around her who did not have her gifts. What happens if you put somebody on her team that has her gifts? Right? That's what happens. It does. Why? Because everybody want to minister for the Lord. And you're in my way. But we have the same gifts. Well, yours are wrong. I mean, I don't know. But you, you have those disputes that happen. And so what Connie did was, is she started her team. She surrounded herself with ladies who don't have her gift so that everybody could operate according to the spiritual gift that they have from God. And that's how things are accomplished through the women's ministry here. Okay, we've got this going on. And it needs to be organized. 
My wife is on the team and she has a gift of administration. Guess what? She organizes things. Connie's gift is encouragement. Guess what she's doing? Championing the cause. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen some really wonderful things over the past four years from our women's ministry. It's gone on here. They really put a lot of time into it. They're really thoughtful about where the needs might be. They're really thoughtful about the topics that need to bring awareness. They really seek out the people that need to come and teach and even teach on some subjects that may be kind of hard for some people to do. But guess what? They've got a full team handling that load, not just one person. That's incredible. It's a completely different way of doing ministry. Are they doing it biblically? See, that's one thing. We look at those spiritual gifts and we say, well, they're right here in the Bible. And if you're seeking to operate that way and get things accomplished for the Lord by His way, doing it His way. See, that's one of the hardest things about spiritual gifts is the getting rid of self. It really is. Pride wants to say, I can, I can, I can, I can. One of the greatest things we can say as Christians is, I'm not gifted like that. That's one of the greatest things we can say. That way we're not beating our heads against the wall, doing ministries that have little fruit hitting hitting constant barriers. You can't do that. Real quick, some things I want to share with you from Ephesians before we wrap up. Turn to Ephesians 4. This gives us what the atmosphere is supposed to look like. And here's the reason why. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, is God's earthly goal for the church. This is what He desires for His bride to look like. Now, guys, how many of you want an ugly bride? Raise your hand. You're like, man, I cannot wait to get to the altar. She is just funky, right? None of us do that. And neither does Jesus. That's important, okay? What kind of bride do we like? Oh, like when she walks, you're like, are her feet even touching the ground? You want that kind of situation. You want your eyeballs to roll back in your head and for jackpot to pop up on your whites, right? That's what you want. You don't want that? I don't know about you, but that was my experience when I got married, right? Door open, and I was like, bang, yeah? Get her up here, get her up here, get her up here. You know, kind of thing. I'm ready. Let's do this forever. It's great. Guess what? Jesus wants the same thing. He wants the same thing. And so Ephesians is actually very unique because it carries two main weights in the book. Four talks about God's earthly goal for the church. Five talks about God's heavenly goal for the church. I want you to see this real quick. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Everybody has a gift. God wanted to give these gifts. So by exercising these gifts, look what happens. Go to verse 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For what reason? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How do I work and serve in order to build up the body? Well, number one, it comes from those previously mentioned offices, giving the word of God and then taking that and saying, great, how can I use my spiritual gift and applying that in my current situation? That's how the body moves up. Look what it says, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, 
Now, here's a trick question. Are we unified? Oh, where's the answers on that? Yeah, preacher, we are. How come we're not all gung-ho on that? Think for a second. Think. There's a unity that needs to be had. The body of Christ, is, is, did Jesus come to us in parts? Here's Jesus' leg. We've got an ear coming down the pipe here. Is that how that happened? He's blaspheming. What's wrong with him? No! Get the illustration, man. That's not how Christ came to us. Christ is a unified whole. Guess what? He desires for his body to be a unified whole. How does a body get unified? Receiving the teaching of God's word, employing the teachings of God's word for the work of service. How do you work and serve the Lord? Through the spiritual gifts he's given you. The gifts are given to serve him in the way he desires to be served. Well, I'm going to do this. Stop! Don't! Sit down and sit on your hands. Don't put a, what those things called? Splinter. Don't put a splinter in the body of Christ. Do it God's way. Well, if that's the case, that means I'm going to have to do this. Yes, grumpy Christian. Get saved. Good grief. Do it God's way. Why would he waste his breath in all of these pages if it wasn't to be done his way? Notice he says here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, you've got to have doctrine, to a mature man, we're growing up, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. He desires to do a full work in the body of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every teaching that comes along, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful schemes, everything that the enemy wants to throw on the church, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, what every joint supplies. You may not know this, but all of us are a joint in some fashion in the body of Christ, and we must supply something in order for the body to run fully to run the race well every joint's got to be in on it every muscle's got to be moving every synopsis has got to be reacting it's got to be happening everybody's got to buy in how do you do that if you're not serving god spiritually you're not serving him he's given us spiritual gifts to do that every joint supplies it notice according to the proper working of each individual part that means that every particular person matters Causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in what? In love. I'm going to tell you this. I think we're a pretty loving church. I don't think we've begun to scratch the surface of what agape love looks like. Of selfless giving love, of which we're expecting nothing in return whatsoever. I don't think we've reached that yet. And that's because that is a spiritual plateau that happens when the teaching of the Word is combined with the ministry of the Word so that the explosion of the Holy Spirit happens amongst our people. Some people call that revival. That's what that's commonly known as. You say, well, we're a pretty good church and we're pretty good Christians and all that. I agree. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Do you think that we've reached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Isn't that the goal? In fact, until we get there, We must use our spiritual gifts because when we get there, our spiritual gifts won't be needed anymore. So we're constantly moving forward, onward and upward. 
Onward and upward. The way you do that is spiritual gifts. Let me close with this. If you would be so kind, because I know you're a little bit curious right now as it is, but if you'd be so kind as when you go home to fill out this answer sheet, determine what your spiritual gifts are. Again, there's margins for error just like any, anything is. You don't really know your spiritual gift until you're actively involved in serving and God will show you what He's purposely designed you for doing, okay? But if you would fill this out, bring it back next week. We could run it through the copy machine, give you your original back, but we have something on file. Because our goal is to help every single person be the most obedient Christian that they possibly can within the context of the local church so that we are giving maximum glory to our Savior. Is anybody not on board with that? Okay, that seems to be the goal. It seems to be everything that we're living here right now in this terrible, stank world in order to get to, okay? Sorry, got a lot of opinions about the world. My Jesus is greater. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that Jesus Christ uh, is greater than our sin that we see and you desire, that you intend upon, that we would pay attention to your word, that we would see that you have taken your precious time and your gifts to supernaturally endow us with abilities that we could never have on our own. Father, how great you desire for us to be in your hands. Father, may we be willing, willing tools used by the Master. Help enlighten us to this understanding of gifts. Give us wisdom and how to best use them. And thank you, God, for the grace that we get to live lives that are so much more above and beyond this world. We praise you, Lord. We're thankful. We're so thankful. It's in Jesus' name, amen.